I woke some of y'all up. Good to see you this morning. So glad and thankful you are here. Uh, I know it's already been said, but I want to say it myself. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. You deserve it. Y'all put up with us. I think Mother's Day is more for the fathers that they mother than, uh, you know, so, but, but thank you fathers for, for putting up with us. I know that we children sometimes can be a little tough, but you are faithful and serve as a good example in Christ for us, so thank you fathers. And so in honor of Father's Day, something that's kind of been getting big in the last few years is uh, dad jokes, y'all know what I'm talking about? And so I went on the internet and I found the top 15 best of the worst dad jokes that are circulating today. Number one, did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. These are really bad, y'all. I'm just going to let you know. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Want to hear a joke about paper? Never mind, it's terrible. These are not mine, y'all. I think some of them are a little funnier than what you're giving them credit for, though. Maybe it's the delivery. How does a penguin build its house? It glues it together. Why did the scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. Why don't skeletons ever go trick-or-treating? Because they have no body to go with. Want to hear a joke about construction? I'm still working on it. Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? It was too tired. What did the grape do when it got stepped on? It let out a little wine. <laughs> I thought about going on an all-almond diet, but that's just nuts. I've never gone to a gun range before, so I decided to give it a shot. Did you hear about the kid napping at school? It's fine, he woke up. I used to work in a shoe recycling shop. It was soul-destroying. That yeah, was pretty bad. Did I tell you about the time I fell in love during a backflip? I was heels overhead. This is the last one. It's almost over. I don't play soccer because I enjoy the sport. I'm just doing it for kicks. So there's those dad jokes that I'm sure a few of those, uh, a few of you have probably said before, and hopefully we'll never say again. So be warned. It's good to see everybody here this morning again. Let us pray now as we enter our time of study together. Father, thank you for giving us this day and this opportunity to be here and gathered in your house together, Lord, with one another that we might worship and praise and uplift your name. We thank you that you're a God who indeed cares for us and loves us beyond who we are, that despite what we've done, where we've been, the things we've been involved with that haven't been involved with you and a part of you, you still love us. Father, you, you are the example of what a good father is. You welcome us back in your arms every time we slip and fall and stumble. We ask for your grace. 
we make the effort to try to get up, you pull us up. I'm thankful for you, for your wonderful loving characteristics that show forth and in this world, in the lives of fathers. I do pray for these, these men who are here, that you will just give them grace and peace in their days and in their families. Father, I pray, though, that they be the men that you would have them to be, that they might be an example of what a life lived with you looks like. Father, primarily a life that is rooted and grounded in your word. And so as we open this word, no matter if, no matter if we're a father or a son, a daughter, a mother, a, a, just an individual who is gathered here today, Lord, that you would just use this in our lives that we might become more like your son to live out a better example of, of him. Thank you for this word and just pray that it blesses us as we in turn seek to bless you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next several weeks, I would like to begin our time of study together by quoting this verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that we're going to keep coming back to for several weeks. Would you read it with me? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First, I want to say that I believe this is something we need to commit to memory. It's something that we need to call on and remember as we go about our days. For Jesus said that He would be with us until the end of the age, but that promise was conditional upon our willingness to make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And He told us how to do it. So again, I'd like for us to look at this verse and to read it out loud together that we might say this with our heart and with our mind to make it even a prayer that, Lord, this is how you've asked us to make disciples and this is how we shall do it. Let us read this together. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. We have our call to go we know who we're supposed to go to, and we know how it is we are supposed to do it as Christ has called us to do so. May this be our mission. May this be a mission that we commit to, not just corporately as a church, and say this is what we're about, but to say it individually, to say this is what I am all about making disciples, helping people see, experience, and know Jesus like I do. If you have something good, why keep it to yourself? If you have something that's changed your life and made a difference, why keep it to yourself? Why not share it with those that you love and that you know? Especially those that you know and you love the most. Because as we see from this passage of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the mission first begins in Jerusalem. That's what Jesus says, go into 
the areas of Jerusalem. He says that first. Because much as in Jesus' parables, these parables being His teachings of the mysteries of heaven that are coming through understandable earthly means, earthly examples, He uses Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 as a parable. As something with earthly significance, but yet you cannot miss the heavenly meaning. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where he says to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he's saying you need to go to these geographical places. But yet at the same time, he's talking about some figurative places in our lives too. They don't just mean where you're standing right now. Or they, don't, they just don't mean go to this place. No, they mean something both literally and figuratively. And the meaning that we're going to look at each week is the meaning of first Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean when Jesus says to go to these places? What is He really trying to say to us? And so first this morning, we're going to look at Jerusalem. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Basically, what He was telling them is you're going to start in your hometown. You're going to start in your home base. You are first going to start where you are as my witnesses before you move out. You see, Jerusalem is where the disciples were told to wait by Jesus until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. But most uniquely and specifically, Jerusalem is where there was a primarily only Jewish audience aside from the Romans who were charged to stay and guard and oversee that area. Predominantly, probably 95% of the people who were there were there because of their faith in the God Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is why these people were there and the disciples were very much at home among these people of like faith of theirs. In fact, later on, we know that Peter especially and James make their home set down roots and remain in Jerusalem. That is where the authoritative teaching and all the conferences and agreements that they had in the days of the New Testament that we read in the book of Acts, this is where the church found its strength and relied upon in these people who were here. Jesus says it starts at home. It starts at home. So there was a great connection between the disciples and the audience that had gathered there. Because the only reason to go to Jerusalem was, was to worship God. And it was at this, this place, it was at this, this time that Jesus called them to wait and prepare for the day that the Holy Spirit would fall on them. We call this the, the day of Pentecost that the church actually celebrated last week. Sorry, the sermons may be a week behind. Sorry, I couldn't plan to organize it that way. But that, that is the day that we've set aside to recognize that that is the birth of the New Testament church. We call that the day of Pentecost because it was celebrated on the festival of Pentecost from the Old Testament days. And what a wonderful and special day in such a wonderful celebration where all these Jews were going to be around for the Holy Spirit to fall. Had a wonderful, large, and captive audience witnessing the power of God falling upon these disciples as they communicated the message of the gospel to each person there hearing in their own language. 
I would like for us, if you would please, to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I know a couple weeks ago we we read this, but I I would like to read it again. Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, and William, if you would follow along with me on the slides, I'd appreciate that. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Again, I know I read this passage a few weeks ago, but I am still amazed. Every time I read and think about that passage, I am always and still amazed of what God can do through the power of His Holy Spirit. But I want to point out specifically this morning an additional lesson that I believe that we can learn from this passage. And it's this, that sometimes in our own hometown, When the Holy Spirit falls on us as we proclaim the gospel, our message will at times be received. At other times, it will not. Sometimes when we go into our own hometown, when the Holy Spirit falls upon us as we proclaim the gospel into the lives of those whom we've known for a long time and share a large common bond with, sometimes our message will be greatly received. Other times, it will not. In the case of the disciples, they faced a bit of typical hometown rousing from those that knew them when they witnessed even in the power of God. They were full of the Holy Spirit unlike any person had ever been filled up to that point in history. And they still received a bit of hometown rousing. Listen to what they said, the people who were there. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? They recognized the accent. They were talking in my language, but they had an accent that was unmistakable. They had a look about them that was unmistakable. The way they dressed was not quite like everybody else. They were fishermen. That was their outfits. I don't know that they updated their wardrobe for this. You know, who they are were unmistakable. Some of them even went so far as to make fun of them by saying they've had too much wine. Of course, Peter says it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. We haven't had too much wine. It, It has to be God. And though the disciples faced a little bit of initial pushback, even under the power of the Holy Spirit, The gospel still went forth with great response when the people were cut to the heart. I missed that that verse. (laughs) When they were cut to the heart. And we know, as we are told, that day, those who accepted his message were baptized. Is what the scripture says. Those who were cut to the heart those who accepted His message and were baptized, about 3,000 
were added to that number that day. 3,000 plus 12. Isn't that amazing? Even a little bit of rousing. Even a little bit of, of people trying to make fun and trying to pass them off and blow them off. There was still such a great response of the gospel of 3,000 people coming to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But despite even this initial judgment on the basis, uh, basis of, of heritage and, and even the competency of the disciples, God still prevailed. His church was established. And we still rest upon this authoritative voice that God gave these apostles in Scripture when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read the book of Acts, when we read the epistles like Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and First and Second Peter, First and Second Timothy, when we, when we read these books, and even unto the end of Revelation, we're still standing on 12 rednecks words, 13 including Paul, we're still standing on these words of these people who God gave the Holy Spirit to. Church, if He can do great things through them, just imagine what He can do through you and what He can do through me. Just because there was a little bit of pushback in the hometown, God's message went forth. And it's wonderful when our message is so warmly and gratefully received by those we witness to, but as I mentioned previously, this will not always be the case. As much as it is wonderful, people can look past who we are. Some people could, could almost never forget who we are, where we came from, who our parents were. You know, in, in thinking about Father's Day, my dad gave me some advice some time ago, some words of comfort then that are still words of comfort now. When I was in a position where I couldn't understand why things just weren't working out the way that I felt and that there was pushback from people, and he, he sat me down and he said, Son, there was only one perfect man and they crucified him. There was only one perfect man and they crucified him. I mentioned it last week, but I remind us that if we ever begin to think that no one could be worse off than we are, we need to stop and think about Jesus. If we think that it couldn't get any worse than what it is, we need to stop and ask God for forgiveness as we think about Jesus. I want you to listen to this passage, and William, if you would follow along. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. And reading through verse 8. This is what it says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be at his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even obedient to death on a cross. I don't mean to minimize anyone's life, your problems, your struggles, or your issues, but the reality of the Scripture is clear. God came to earth in the form of a man to save man, and He was still rejected by man. 
The Bible described Jesus long before he ever came by saying that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Son of God, God himself, God in the flesh, despised and rejected by men. Jesus was used to this. And I believe one of the saddest times of rejection for Jesus came among his own hometown. Listen to this passage, Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. And if you'll follow along with me one more time. This is what the scripture says coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, uh, isn't his mother Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did all this man get these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith I think that's sad we know from the same account mentioned in Luke's gospel it says this he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then it began. And then it started. Jesus did not deserve the questioning, the ridicule, nor the mocking. He indeed was the one in whom the Scripture spoke of, but the people He spoke to that day could not look past Jesus as a child. They could not look past Jesus as Mary's son. They could not look past Joseph or His occupation as nothing but a carpenter. They could not look past Jesus and His brothers his sisters that were still living in the areas, they could not look past these things in order to see the importance of not only who He was, but the truth of the Scripture that He read and the Spirit that was upon Him. In fact, Luke said of this visit that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He came to His hometown with the Spirit of God resting upon Him. And this is how he was treated. He had the Spirit of God resting upon him, the Son of God, God in the flesh. This is how he was treated. So I need to ask us, why would we expect anything else, anything less in our own hometowns? As he said, Jesus himself, why would we expect anything less even sometimes in our own home? with our own 
family. Sometimes those who know us best treat us the absolute worst. Billy Graham said one time, not everyone Jesus tried to turn back from the brink of destruction responded, and nor will they with us. Not everyone Jesus tried to turn back from the brink of destruction responded, nor will they with us. It was only after Jesus speaking, spoke to the crowd that the Scriptures say that all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But get this. But he walked right through them, through the crowd, and he went on his way. He walked right through the midst of the crowd and went on his way. I don't think there was anything more miraculous about this other than mob mentality. I don't know what we're arguing about, but I'm going to join in. And I'm sure that the crowd was big enough by the time they got to the hillside that all Jesus had to do was just walk right past them. They forgot who he was in the event of we're just going to get to throw somebody off a cliff. But the fact of the matter is, what even took him there, whether it was something human or miraculous, how he got out of that crowd, is the fact that he went on his way. Jesus was no doubt disappointed by their reaction to him and his message, but he just went on about his way. He left there. The Scriptures say when he left that place, he went to Capernaum. There in Capernaum, he cast out a demon, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and he healed many other people in the town. One bad experience did not get Jesus down. And it shouldn't get us down either. One bad experience in our own hometown with a son, with a daughter, with a grandchild, with a friend, with someone who you thought you were close to, brother or a sister, even a mother or a father, one or several bad experiences with these people should not get us down. Because Jesus said, for my sake, this is going to happen. He said that I will drive wedges between families. It's not a willfulness that Jesus is just driving wedges between families because he wants to and he thinks it's fun. That's man's created God mentality. The Greek and the Roman gods were in the image of men, and because men thought it was fun to inflict pain on people, they thought that the gods would probably enjoy it too. I want to tell you today, God is not like mankind. We can be found in His likeness, but God is not us. He wants us to be like Him, but God will not become like us in our sinful state. Church, just because people reject you, know that Christ said it's going to happen. And not only did He say it's going to happen, but it happened to me. The Bible says that Jesus stands in heaven and He advocates for the children of God. He stands before the Father and pleads on our case and pleads on our behalf. He stands in intercession between us and the Father. And the Holy Spirit speaks languages to Christ that only they can understand on our behalf. I know you are hurting because of that child who doesn't want to come to church. 
I know you are hurting because of that person that you're afraid of in your family that may not make it to heaven because you don't know where they stand. I know that it keeps you up at night worrying where your child is because you haven't heard about them for years. You haven't heard their voice in a long time. I know you're concerned about them. And I'm not going to make any excuses for you other than to say I'm sorry and God understands. Bad experiences in our hometown among our own people. He's told by us that it's going to happen. But remember this. We are still filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel still stands on its own without our help. And God is still God. He is still on His throne. God is not in control of this world. I want to tell you, God is sovereign over this world. God not only plays in the midst of it as He sees fit and He knows His best, but He oversees it, waiting for the right moment to come and be in our midst. Church, didn't get Jesus down when he knew he was filled with the Spirit speaking truth. And it shouldn't get us down either. Jesus went back later to Galilee several times, as we know from the Scriptures. This is the beginning of his ministry. He went back several times there. He taught and he performed many miracles even though he initially had trouble in his own hometown. And there are going to be times we're going to have trouble too. In our own hometown, in our own Jerusalem, in our own families. I even know how the faith and differences of opinions of doctrines and theologies even within families drive wedges. I hear stories all the time of mom was a Catholic, dad was a Baptist. We didn't talk about it in our house. You know, there are going to be times when doctrine and theology even drive wedges. What we talk about the faith and a God that loves us, our opinions and desires, and the way we see things sometimes even drive wedges. There are going to be times when people are going to not do it but think about throwing us off a cliff for our beliefs. They would rather us go any other place than to be there speaking to them, and maybe a lot of it because of conviction. I hear your message. I don't like the way I feel about it. Sometimes we convey I don't want to change with what God's trying to do. Church, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. They're not turning you away. You're just a casualty of doing what you know God has called you to do. Trying to help show them and teach them a better way of living. Church, I'm, I'm trying to give you encouragement because I know it's difficult. Even in the church. Even in the midst of our gatherings. I haven't been in ministry as long as a lot of people, but I've been in ministry long enough to know that there's a lot of hardships that go on even within the church within the lives of people and families and the struggles and the heartaches and, and the hardships. 
But just because they reject our message and they may turn us away does not change, again, at all who we are in Jesus Christ. It does not change the message and it doesn't change the Spirit of God that is resting upon us as it rested upon Jesus. Y'all remember Jerry Falwell, right? Senior. Used to be the pastor at, um, at uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church, founding pastor there. One time, 22,000 people that were attending there, and that was back in the 80s. This man was an atheist. His parent, he didn't know God. His father was a proclaimed atheist. Didn't he? Well, he was agnostic. He kind of believed in God, but didn't serve him and didn't really care what God did or who he was. And Jerry Falwell said it was later in his life, in his earlier years, in his 20s, where he came to know Christ. But yet his twin brother that he was close growing up to, it was a long time before he ever came to know Christ. It was later in life. And he said that he wasn't even the one that helped bring him to Christ. It was one of the associate pastors at his church. You would wonder why it wouldn't have been Jerry. But Jerry told and quoted Sometimes a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Sometimes it has to be somebody from the outside that comes in and speaks. One of these days, you may not be able to speak to somebody in your Jerusalem, but you might go to somebody else's Jerusalem and speak on their behalf for them, to their family, to their friends, to their loved ones. Church, the gospel message, the power of the Spirit, and God Himself does not change because people reject us it is hard to minister in jerusalem like the apostles sometimes we'll find success and like jesus the only thing that we will find is rejection but that does not change who we are in jesus christ and it does not change the charge to go just because it's going to be difficult maybe because it is difficult does not change the fact that god said go jesus christ said go first to jerusalem We've got to try. We'll never know until we try. We'll never know if we'll get rejected. We'll never know if we'll be accepted if we don't try. We are charged to go. And this is why. Because each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Listen to that one more time because it was very convicting. When I was reading commentaries, I was like, oh Lord, why'd you put that there? Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Not only for what we accepted, but what we did or didn't do that He asked us to do or not to do. In this case, He said to go, starting with Jerusalem. Have we gone to our Jerusalem? Have we begun to minister in our home town? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for all of your many blessings, but none more than Jesus. He has changed my life. And I know he's changed the lives of many in this room. How he's made us new and different. Wiped away the past. Behold, all things old have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Thank you for that, Lord.
Thank you so much for that. But Father, you've told us that since we've accepted it, we're obligated to talk about you, to take your gospel to the world. As people who are disciples today, who have been made by disciples, who are made by disciples, who are made by original disciples, Lord, we know this call and this command. And Lord, I feel there's others out there who feel like I do, that it is daunting at times. Especially when speaking to those who know us the best. To those that we grew up around. Maybe even to those in which we grew up in their home. As children. Father, you told us that regardless of who it is, that we are called to go. Enable us as a church, Lord, to do this. To desire that every name under heaven knows the name of Jesus Christ. Every person under heaven knows the name of Jesus Christ because you said when that happens, you will come back. Lord, help us in our Jerusalem to do our part to help usher you back to this world because we know this world needs you. People are going to need you as long as they have breath. We need you as long as we have breath. So enable us, Lord, to reach out into the world, to help make disciples on your behalf. Not only because you said that we should, but because we know it's best. Help anyone here, Lord. Help us to embrace this call. To enable us in your spirit as we proclaim the gospel. That good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.